0: LAPD is short-staffed. Why these recruiting numbers are so low?
1: I don't know if a lot of young kids want to risk their lives knowing you might get disciplined for doing something wrong, but you're also looking possibly into criminal filings. How it was dealing with the media. If the suspect slash victim was of one race, mostly like the male African-American, now they want to know if the officers were male Caucasians or they were white. Now, if that's the case, you're gonna run and take off with it.
0: You're Latino yourself, right? And there's different races in LAPD. Have you seen that where people treat other races differently?
1: We were called agents of racial genocide. That hits bad. When you start hearing those type of words that are describing what you do every single day, it
0: doesn't suit well. My guest today is Marlon Marachi. He's a retired LAPD officer. He's a true insider. Today he's going to discuss the impact media has on people's perception of policing and why LAPD is struggling to find new officers. If I do a traffic stop today
1: and you just want to be completely rude, disrespectful, vulgar, and tell me that I'm the worst thing in the world, you get home and your house is burglarized, you're gonna call 911 and guess who's gonna come help you.
0: We are. I'm Siamay Karami, welcome to California Insider. Marlon, it's great to have you on, welcome. Thank you for having me, I really appreciate being here. We don't get a chance to talk to police officers much. You know, there's these PIOs and there's departments have their own statements and you're a retired LAPD officer and you have actually been involved with the investigations, internal investigations as well, so you've seen the other side of it, investigating the, the bad police too, but the bad cops, and or cases that could go wrong. Yes. We want to talk to you about what's happening today with. You were with LAPD. LAPD is short staffed by a thousand officers. Can you tell us what's going on? Why these recruiting numbers are so low?
1: Wow, such a loaded question. I will start off by saying that it it leads me to believe that this type of profession, uh, not many want to get into because of all the challenges, all the new laws, and even the perception that people have about the police. Uh, just to give an example, back 25 years ago when I came on the job, there used to be a 1,000 applicants a month. Think about that. A, thousand, a month. A month. New ones. Just a 1,000 people wanted to be police officers, just a month. And so out of the 1,000, they only took the best 5%. Out of the best 5%, they took the best 50%. Out of the best 50%, they took the best 5%. So you ended up with maybe six, maybe seven a month. Because the background investigations, you know, they, with the fine-tooth comb, they wanted to hire the best of the best, you know, as we would think that it's best of the best. And so my class in July of 1998 was about 74, north of 70 recruits, uh, my colleagues. I can tell you that in 1997, classes throughout the year, every month, were in the uh, north of 80, maybe 90 recruits. In the police academy in 1996 it was excess of 100 in 1995 it was north of 100 so you can imagine from 1994 uh, up until 1999 there was mass mass hiring i don't know if uh, a lot of young kids you know want to risk their lives uh knowing and i'm sure we'll get into this is that you are one incident away from being uh filed criminal charges i mean now you're talking about getting involved in a use of force or getting involved in a violent, critical incident. And there's just that possibility that not only are you, you might get disciplined for doing something wrong uh, during this incident, but you're also looking, possibly, into criminal filing. So that kind of turns people off uh, from applying. I want to say they're averaging about 30-ish, or you know, north of 30 uh, per class,
0: per month. Now, do you think it's because of the reputation? Because in the last few years, there's been kind of like the police reputation has not been that great. Or do you think it's the fact that you could get in trouble anything you do? Well, let's. In terms of the public perception. Oh, absolutely,
1: absolutely. Look, I mean, you know, George Floyd didn't help at all. I think the protest and what happened with the George Floyd incident uh, takes an impact as to, you know, hey, I don't want to do that kind of work. I don't want to see myself getting in trouble and getting you know, possibly going to jail, that kind of has people very apprehensive to even apply to do this job. I can certainly tell you defunding, you know, that movement of defunding the police, that certainly didn't help. I say probably any, for all you uh, listeners out there, if you're a young person that wants to do this job, we always tend to focus on the negative, right? We always tend to focus on incidents that have an impact for all police. Uh, agencies and if you didn't know there's approximately about hundred and eighty thousand agencies throughout the United States so when you highlight and sensationalize one incident you know it takes an impact on all departments LAPD has done so good for me has afforded me so much success you know to be here with you and talk about my expertise uh, and to continue you know consulting and doing other stuff that I'm doing now but I want to say those incidents, along with others that get, you know, the Ferguson incident, you know, we can talk about highlighted incidents throughout the United States uh, that has a reflection very negative on a young, young person who says, you know what, I really don't know if I want to do this and risk my life uh, every single day.
0: Now what about the situation right now? Because there's some bad press for the police mm-hmm. in the last few years and the press hasn't really supported you guys, right, in a sense?
1: No, you know, I, I did a tour as a uh, as a PIO, and I can tell you in my experience, uh, everything, I was always the believer that for every bad incident that gets reported, we should be reporting or making the community aware of two good incidents. And we've never, to this very day, I don't think we get around that because you and I, both know that if it's an officer-involved shooting, everybody's gonna wanna talk about that and respond to that. If the suspect happens to be uh, a certain race, right, uh, then next thing you know, it's gonna be even more sensationalized. So at at times, it doesn't just become about the tactical portion or what the officers actually did, their conduct, uh, how they approached it, you know, the totality of the circumstances as it relates to that particular incident, but because uh, the suspect happens to be African American or some other race, and the officer happens to be male Caucasian or another race, it just completely uh, uh, deviates from what actually transpired and they make it out to be something else. So, uh, you know, I've never really been a big fan of, of how the media deviates from such ways, because at the end of the day, look, nobody wins. You know, you have someone who just died. You have an officer who's going through all these emotions from what they did, even if they, dis- even if they thought they did the right thing. And what? I mean, the studies and the research show that the average uh, officer-involved shooting is, what, less than two seconds? And you expect someone to make a decision in less than two seconds thinking, right, that you actually did something right, and you have to deal with that for the rest of your life. And then last but not least is the community, right? The community, how is it that they learn? Or is there lessons learned? Or do we want to know uh, what is it that the officer was going through? Or, you know, what really did happen? And we don't do a good enough job. And one of the things that bothers me, in a sense, is that we keep talking about transparency because we're supposed to be transparent, which we do. But in my opinion, I think we're probably halfway there. If we're going to be transparent, we should be completely 100 percent heading toward transparency as it relates to all stakeholders because at the end of the day nobody wins
0: can you give us some examples of how it was dealing with the media you were a pio and how how would the media look at your
1: oh absolutely so um i want to say it was uh an assembly bill i want to say it was 1421 that just passed maybe a couple of years ago where it says that the police department has to pretty much tell the community about a critical incident. So it's lost, so I think within 30 or 45 days. So here you are, uh, and LPD does a great job of pretty much giving you a summary of an officer-involved shooting. And, and I keep referring to OISs because OIS is It's what happens most often, right?
0: Officer-involved shootings. Officer-involved shootings, OISs,
1: remember that. (laughs) Us police officers, we're big on acronyms. We love acronyms. (laughs) So when you get involved in an OIS, here we are, the commanding officer will go and tell you about the incident, you know. Hey, this is what happened on such date. Uh, The officers responded to this radio call. Here are the circumstances, these are the facts. Uh, They'll slow down and, you know, we will depict body-worn video to show you the uh, suspect's weapon what happened and transpired on that incident. But here's the deal, that happens within 45 days. But then the question is, do we know about the outcome? And we don't, we don't. To this very day, no one is telling the public that look, this particular, these officers that were involved in this critical incident, this is what happened, you know, they went through a rigorous uh, levels of review. And they were judged, they were scrutinized about what happened, whether it was in policy or out of policy. And this is what happened. Uh, If it was out of policy, this is the type of uh, discipline that we imposed on these officers. And they're getting training and they're being debriefed about the things that they should have done. Because what I come to find out in my experience in these critical incidents is that you don't get scrutinized or get judged on the tactics that you actually did it's what you didn't do and what you didn't think about doing is where you start analyzing and having this full-blown examination by command staff officers about you know you might have maybe you should have thought of this or maybe if you did this then maybe there could have been a, a different outcome but we don't talk about that and so the question is is that do we want to know certainly if i had a family member or someone. I would like to know what the outcome. But I just feel like uh, it's not so much th- that we sh- should be holding the police departments accountable for not letting know the final outcome. I think we should be also holding the community to know up for the final outcome. Because I got to be honest with you, I just think that after they see that community briefing or you know that you then have they're to do done
0: and forget about it. Right? Yeah, and you, you move and on the to the press next. And the press already one. did did the coverage. They don't know what happened. What it. So you just keep hearing about this shooting that shooting that right event
1: so think about how many OIs's you have known about right since you've been doing this have you bothered to even think about what the outcome was what happened to the officers you know how is it that they went and told their family you know what is it they're going through or what about the family members of the deceased what are they going through yeah they filed a lawsuit for wrongful death making claims that the police you know neglected to do you know, this, this, and this, but all these conversations we're just not having. And if we're gonna talk about transparency, we should be having those conversations.
0: What about the media, the press? Did you, did you have incidences where you dealt with the press and they were trying to sensationalize the event and then they kind of?
1: Oh yeah, absolutely. Officer involved shooting is the bread and butter. If something like that happens, the phones are ringing. And sometimes, not all the time, but, you know, I get the sense that, you know, if the, I suppose the suspect slash victim, right, they're, they're a yeah. victim as well, uh, was of one race, mostly like the male African American, then next thing you know, now they want to know if the officers were, you know, male Caucasians or if they were white. Now, if that's the case, you're going to run and take off with it.
0: And, the and calls are coming. The media, is. but what about? I suppose.
1: I, I suppose when I say that, it, it's from the media's lens. Yeah. I'm doing my job, and now this is magnified by a hundred, you know. Where if it wasn't a male white officer, and the suspect was not African American, they probably won't feel you know, it's not as, um, you, know,
0: uh, you as know, excitable. It's not exciting. as excitable
1: for them. And, and, and again, I, you know, I'm not trying to uh, give a negative light to the media. They have a job to do. And, and when I was a PIO, we had great relationships. It's just that sometimes I felt as though, you know, if it wasn't a certain race, you know, or gender, you know, or ethnicity, if you will, then you're not getting as excited. I just got the sense that, you know, it, it created some more uh, excitement for you to do your job,
0: for the reporters to do this.
1: Absolutely, and then again, I, you know, I bring this up to say that reporters have a job to do, and that soundbite, that interview, is going to be more significant, I should say. Not to say that if if that particular uh, scenario in which you know it was different ethnicities or genders or race that it, you know, it, it, it's not as important, it is, but I just felt like it was cranked up a little bit more.
0: Now, does this exist in the department? You're Latino yourself, right? And there's different races in LAPD, and do you feel like that exists among the, the police officers? Have you seen that where people think the they're, they're race and then they kind of treat other races differently?
1: Absolutely not. I, you know what, I can tell you in my experience, no. Have I ever seen, One of my officers, you know, put a knee in someone's neck as a tactical application? Absolutely not. Has that ever been taught at an academy? Absolutely not. Uh, We are, you know, and I gotta brag a little bit, but we we are the best trained. You got people from the world, other countries coming to train with our uh, tactics instructors and our SWAT teams. Uh, We're very good at what we do and I can vouch for many major agencies. Certainly, obviously, I can't vouch for 180,000 agencies, but the ones that I know were are very good at what we do. Uh, by no means, uh, when you put on the uniform, uh, you even have those type of thoughts. I think when you put on the uniform, for me, in my experience, uh, it helped me a lot. It, it, it made me grow into a better person, a better father and a better man, in a sense that, you know, when I was younger, I was pretty selfish. I was pretty self-centered and this job taught me to give you know and to help and to save someone's life and that is uh, that has no price that has no value it's just uh, it's unmeasurable
0: was there an incident that made it worth it for you absolutely
1: when I was on probation I remember all I wanted to do is just get off work it was like three o'clock and I was supposed to get off at four Uh, And I'm like, I got to go. I got to go to the gym and I got to hang out with my boys and I got to go to the club. That's all I was thinking about. It's just me, 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 all me. And we get this service call where we had an older woman, uh, a Latina woman, who basically took three steps out of her house, made a right and a left, and next you know, she's lost. Uh, She didn't know. She didn't know how to get back home. Uh, I suppose, you know, she suffered from... um, uh, dementia. Or for dementia, and uh, so someone called 911 and we see her walking down the streets and I get her in the car and here we are, I'm asking her, I can tell she's just distressed, she's nervous, she's like just full of emotions and just thinking to herself, you know, I, I, I want to get back home, instant Spanish. Señora, como estas, no te preocupes, you know, stuff like that, and, and so what we did is we went to these convalescent homes in my division and we would i get out of the car go to the manager and say you know hey do you know know, so and so does she live here no so we went to like three or four of them so the whole time i'm doing this i'm still thinking about myself going i gotta get off work man i don't want (laughs) to work overtime and as i'm in the car looking at the rearview mirror i just see her break down and cry and i see her just a woman that just has no i mean poor thing she can't even she doesn't even know her name. I think she knew her first name, but she didn't know her last name, she didn't know her phone number, she didn't know her address, she didn't know anything. And what's interesting um, to describe her a little bit more is that she was wearing this long sleeve like sweater that was kind of fitted, you know. And the whole time I'm thinking, I can't believe I'm sitting here thinking i getting off work when this lady just needs us. And so we go back to the station, now she starts hyperventilating. We had to call, uh, she had like an anxiety attack. We had to call yeah, the ambulance, had to come her. They, they come to the station. They had to give her, you know, an IV. And the whole time she's just holding on tight to me, you know, and I'm just sitting there, you know, just reassuring, Todo So uh, that estoy Spanish help- yeah, the Spanish was helpful? Uh, yes, of course. <laughs> I was the only one who spoke Spanish. And she said, no me dejes ir, mijo, you know, and she was just so nice and so sweet. And somehow, some way, there was a bracelet that just kind of trickled from her arm, and it says, if lost, call this number. So so I was so excited, and I told my training officer, you're not gonna believe this, because we had to do a missing report. There's a whole process that you had to do. By the time that I was getting ready to call the number, her her husband and a father, Catholic from the church, came to the front desk, and they were getting ready to report her as missing. And it just so happens that at the time that they were in the front desk, I was sitting in the back with her and we said, well, she's here. And let me tell you something, that reunion just did it for me. I thought to myself, you know, I'm I'm eight months from the out of the academy. And after that reunion, she comes up to me, gives me this big hug, she's crying, she just, in Spanish, she just could not thank me for doing it. And I reflect on that from 25 years ago to say that, that did it for me to know that, you know what, this is the reasons why I signed up and I wanted to do this job. You know, so, uh, that's one of several, but that one's the one that sticks out the most. Of course, I'm telling you something that happened 25 years ago.
0: Which is excellent, it's excellent. Now, Marlon, some people might say that the press is doing all this, you know, it's kind of it's kind of changed the way people look at the the, the, the police officers, to mm-hmm. some degree, in this country, mm-hmm. but there is, there is an element where kind of some bad officers get protected wi- within the police system, you know yes. and then it it ruins it for everybody, but there is an element. Can you tell us what you saw? because you were investigating police misconduct?
1: What I come to realize is that it's really all about organizational culture, which a lot of people call cop culture. Culture is what really dictates what you do and what you don't do, and so what happens is is that when you start seeing these incidents like Memphis, you know, those five officers that you saw that was horrible what happened, or what happened with in, um, in Minneapolis, right? Over there with uh, Officer Chauvin. The first thing I think about is, is that really an aberration? So in other words, is that the first time you really did something like that? So for 19 years you've been on the job, is that the first time you actually, you know, conducted yourself and used those tactical applications that you were taught to do something like that? And the the answer should be, absolutely not. And so what happens is, is that when you do it over and over again, it's that accountability and that culture that makes you do stuff like that. Why? Because the sergeant doesn't say anything. He turns a blind eye. The lieutenant, the captain, command staff, no one's saying anything all the way up to the chief of police. So when you don't put a stop to that, call it what you want. Maybe it's bravery. You're not brave enough. You're not courageous enough. Uh, maybe you just don't want to go against the grind and you don't want to be seen as the whistleblower, you know, maybe you're afraid that if you do say something, right, then they're going to retaliate against you, which by the way, duty to intercede, right? Duty to intercede is another Senate bill. I think it's uh, Senate bill 26 here in California, which is law now, which pretty much says that, look, if you see something of one of your partners or anyone at scene, that's using excessive force or whatever the case may be, where you feel it's completely a deviation from what you were taught, then I have a duty to intercede. And if you don't say anything or you don't do something, you too will be disciplined. So when we start talking about bad officers, what I think about the most is culture, 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 culture. And it's just not in this profession. I'm sure there's a lot of cultures and, you know, in doctors and nurses and architects uh, where you cut corners, right? Uh, you want to do the right thing but if you're that one guy that just you know you're a rookie cop and you're just seeing something bad and you don't want to be known as the one that hey you know I I don't want to tell you because my whole career is ruined I'm at home I'm married this is my only paycheck I got to provide for my family you know what I'd rather not say anything you know or you have these training officers are saying you are pretty much gonna do a B and C that's it You can't talk, you can't speak, and I'm gonna teach you how to do police work. Now, imagine that with 180,000 agencies throughout the United States. What that tells me is that we have a lot of work to do, a lot of work to teach, to train, which is one of the reasons why I got hired as an instructor to teach these new sergeants how to conduct these internal affairs
0: investigations. So it seems like from what we've gathered so Mm -hmm. far, from people that have been in the police force, they told us that it's almost impossible to do policing work because you have to calculate so much. Yes. And then it seems like the bad officers, uh, I don't know what the number is, Mm -hmm. probably a small number, but they're there. And they're not getting the discipline that they should get, but then other officers are kind of like put on, uh, there's a ton of rules. If you're a good officer, you have to follow by. And, and it's taxing everyone. Yes. So can you tell us what your thoughts are? On right,
1: this? so f- I wouldn't categorize it as good or bad because if you come on this job today, there's a lot of rules that you have to follow. You know, you have, to, you have to know your body warm video policy. You have to know the use of force policy. You have to know a lot. You have to know when you're dealing with the, uh, uh, someone that's suffering from mental illness. You gotta know that protocol. So there's a lot of protocols, practices, and laws that you just have to know. And you just can't learn that right away. You know, It takes um, repetition, experience, so on and so
0: forth. And you have to follow them all at every incident, right? Exactly, you gotta follow them
1: all at every incident. And I suppose what tend to happen is that sometimes, because so many people call 911, and I'm a true believer that, look, you can talk about Uh, how people hate the police, how we're so bad, Uh, we do bad stuff, you guys are corrupt, you're all that, but at the end of the day, guess what? You gotta call 911 and guess guess who's coming to help you? Me, so if I do a traffic stop today and you just wanna be completely rude, disrespectful, vulgar, and tell me that I'm the worst thing in the world, you get home and your house is burglarized, you're going to call 911, and guess who's going to come help you? We are. And so, I've always felt, no matter what politicians, no matter what experts talk about, in the end of it all is you're going to need us to come help you. Now, everybody has their own opinion about that, right? Well, you guys don't really help, and you guys just cut corners or do this, etc., cetera, etc. Cetera. And so, what happens is, is that a lot of what you need to know. It is taxing. I, con- I could not agree with you more. I'm all for, I believe now we're having uh, civilians respond to certain radio calls. True believer of that. What people don't know is the LAPD has had a mental evaluation unit since like, I want to say the early 2000s. I mean we've been doing this for 15, 20 years where if someone, uh, let's just say you and I are out in the streets and we see someone that's suffering from mental illness they have to be placed on a 5150 hold, first things we're doing is we're calling Mental Evaluation Unit, and they're rolling out a police officer with a, a psychologist uh, to deal with that. And when they get at scene, you know, we'll hand them over uh, to them, you know, we'll provide safety, you know, make sure it's all tactically sound. And next, you know, they're off to, uh, to the hospital and chances are they're gonna be placed on a hold. That's been going on for about a decade. But now, you know, oh no, we need, you know, we don't need the police to respond to these certain calls. And guess what? I totally agree, 100%. Is there a cause for quality of life issues that others can handle? Yes, but the problem is is that what happens if the situation starts escalating? You know, which is something that we also have to know is de-escalation. De-escalation is codified into 835 APC, your use of force policy. Uh, That's huge, you know. As an officer, you need to learn how to de-escalate a situation. Now, do certain Circumstances dictate whether you're going to be de escalating or not. that all depends on the uh on the circumstances, right I mean, if I'm rolling up to seven eleven right now and I, as soon as I get out of my car, I hear shots fired, and this guy's coming out with an assault rifle out of you know the front door from the cashier, I hear people screaming, "Uh, you know, and he's running. I don't think I have time to deescalate. I think I have time to go ensure that, uh, you know, I'm trying to, I'm trying to get this, um, this, uh, this suspect and, you know, and we'll go from there. So yes, it's overwhelming, uh, but that doesn't mean that it's a great job. Um, it's, it's a good, the bad apples that you talked about, the bad officers, you're absolutely right. It's very, very minimal. Let me give you an example. When I was in internal affairs from 2011 to 2015, There used to be over 3,000, think about that, north of 3,000 citizen complaints. People complaining about officers alleging misconduct, right? Whether it was a violation of policy or they were rude to me, discourteous, they neglected their duty, their conduct was unbecoming. In other words, their conduct was really bad, it was negative, look what this person's doing. Out of those 3,000, 96.4% were adjudicated as unfounded. What unfounded means is that it's never, it, didn't, it didn't occur. So think about that. That means that a lot of people complain to internal affairs, to the department, and say, look what these officers did. And sometimes it's third party. Sometimes you just watch and see, and don't make a complaint. We'll go through a full-blown investigation, and we'll send you a letter. And, and this is where I think that we need to do better, is we'll send you a letter saying, hey, we fully investigated this. Uh, it came back unfounded. Uh, the doctors did nothing wrong. Please give us a call if you'd like to discuss. And guess what? I've, been, I've done hundreds of the investigations. I've sent out hundreds of these letters that have been adjudicated as unfounded. Not one person has ever called me to say, hey, when I made that complaint, can you please tell me, you know, what happened? You know, I know, I know it, 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 it's been adjudicated as unfounded, but can we meet? You know, would you like? Be, sure, let's go to Starbucks, have a cup of coffee, and we'll talk about it, you know. So what does that tell you? It tells you that there's 4%. Now think about it, back in 2011 to 2015, we had what, nine, 10,000? 10, 10,000 officers for only 4%. So what are we talking about? A fraction of, I, I'm not really good with math, I'm, I would think it's- So like it's
0: probably- Less than 1% f- probably, yeah. right? So 4% of, of the, you said 3,000. Right,
1: so 4%, there is some back- So conduct.
0: out of the 3,000, right? Correct. So that's one hundred twenty. Yeah. That's one hundred twenty incidents a year, or a hundred a whole year. The whole. And year. that was back then. In terms of the police shortage that we we're facing, yes. What, is, what are the impacts? Uh,
1: it, it has a lot of impacts in a sense that, look, when you don't have uh, young young people, right, young men and women that are applying, because it's it's very low. It's got to be in the hundreds, right. Um, And you have officers. So here's the formula. Young people, men and women that are trying to come on the job, very minimal. Officers that are already out in the streets and there's a huge shortage, right? Already there's some agencies that you're mandated to work overtime because we just don't have enough on this particular day. I mean, let's just say minimum is two police cars, right? Just, just two if it's minimum some agencies have three some agencies have a minimum of needs of having four patrol cars in this city right if you can't fill that uh, we offer overtime you know and if you like supplemental income like i did for 20 years uh, to live comfortable to provide for your family you know to take trips because i can attest that you know a police officer salary is not um it's not conducive to a very, really great lifestyle. It's good, but it's just not great. So if you wanna take your family, you wanna have kids and take vacations and all that stuff, you're gonna to wanna to work overtime, right? Or send your kids off to college, I gotta work overtime. And so supplemental income is huge, not just in the LAPD, that's probably nationwide. And so now you're working what? The days are you're off. So let's just say you work at 312, three days a week, 12 hour shift. So you have those four days off, so now you're working two, maybe three days, and you have that one day off. Maybe you have four days off for the whole month. What does that happen? Now you're talking about burnout on the officers, right? And they are working a lot. Some agencies require mandatory that you need to work overtime. But I'm huge on training. You gotta train. You gotta know all these new laws. Laws are always coming out. Case laws, uh, Senate bills, assembly bills, that affect the impact of how do you do police work. So where do you find a time to and actually train? Can you train?
0: process? Look, so do you you must need some time off because because it's a lot of. Isn't it very traumatic to do the work?
1: Absolutely. You get home and you you know everything that you just saw. Uh, whether it's, I mean, imagine you being involved uh, in a critical incident, uh, an in custody death, or. Um, maybe you had to get into a full-blown use of force you know with someone that maybe just got done beating you know their wife or someone you know domestic something completely violent or you had to take someone's life you got involved in an officer-involved shooting you got involved in an OIS. All those emotions you know how do you get home and learn how to turn that off and, and, and deal with your family it's tough, uh, it's tough to deal with that uh, let alone I, I gotta Learn how to be stronger, and wake up at six in the morning and go do it all over again.
0: What about us when we call nine one one? You mentioned that some yes. police officers have to work overtime, mm-hmm. so and then and there is going to be a shortage. There's a shortage already. Yes. Do you think we're going to see uh, less timely responses and and officers that are more stressed out and
1: Yes. So it's it's, it's kind of like a recipe for I wouldn't say a disaster but it's a, it's just it's a recipe where everybody's just going to be frustrated. So it's a recipe set for frustrations on both parties. Right? You got officers who are just pretty much emotionally and, spent uh, yeah, and cool. yeah, tired, probably haven't slept and then you have people who call 911 that are these taxpayers, "Hey, I'm calling you, you got to respond and help me out." Of course there's priorities, right? Someone goes to seven eleven and robs it, you know we're, we're there, we got to go there, especially if people have been victimized. But if your car got broken into because you parked it on the street and your window's completely shattered, eh, you know you, you got to weigh it out and I think what happens is even twenty five years ago people get the just get frustrated, they're impatient, so I would say that you know have some patience you know when we respond. Uh, is it getting better? Um, yeah, I think so i, I I believe that we're going to get completely better. I think now we're seeing uh, that paradigm shift, if you will, that we're being more supportive of what we do compared to uh, two or three years ago where, you know, because of certain landmark incidents, you know, the police was just, they were just bad people. You know, they were evil. I think at one point we we were called, Uh, agents of racial genocide that really that hits bad Uh, and that is so (laughs) so not true so um, when you start hearing those type of um, words that are uh, describing what you do every single day it doesn't suit well and and I can speak for many many of us in this uh, in this field
0: now Marlon how do we fix this this is like uh, can uh, so this has to be uh, there has to be a shift where people get into the force or or they how do we fix this? Shortly?
1: We we fix it by having way more involvement. I think we do a lot of good community policing. We do we have some really good community programs, a lot of outreach. Look, get involved. Uh, I know that we have those simulators, right? Citizens academies. They have community academies. If you really really want to know and put on these shoes to know exactly what we go through, come on down. I know they have those uh, tactical simulators where you put on, uh, I think it's like a goggle where you know you have scenarios, and you gotta make decisions in a split second whether you're gonna shoot or not shoot. You know, And it's happening everywhere. Um, the more that we get involved with the community, which we have been, it's, look, I don't wanna give the impression that we've never, I, we've been doing this for 25 years, I mean, it's just that now, because of social media, because of you know, because of one bad incident, it, it you know, it, it it paints everybody with this broad brush, and and again, uh, and I'll keep saying it, 180,000 agencies. Think about that. We have a lot of work to do to fix and to give a good impression. Now on in the terms public.
0: of the media side of it. So mm-hmm. when people read these articles about a police incident, do you have any recommendations for them because you've been on the other side of it. You know what was happening and this how things were reported. Well, Is there the, any Well,
1: yeah, well, s- why don't you send me a draft <laughs> and mm-hmm. let me review it before <laughs> you actually publish it. I don't know if that's the practice <laughs> or no when that when when the, the papers
0: so when the papers cover it so they when they papers cover these incidents and as a reader I'm reading this and I I read in the paper this is what happened uh,
1: I I wouldn't say in my opinion they're not as conclusory as 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 we think they are and they're not as negative I I, I think you do a very very good job factually Um, but it just depends you know I can't speak for many uh, reporters or you know the entire media industry from my experience they've been solid. Uh, what can you do different? Um, you know what? Start reporting and start getting into uh, talking to officers and doing more good, you know, doing more good reporting as opposed to a controversial OIS. An OIS is just, I mean, who, who really wins? Nobody. Nobody. It's, uh, it, it is the most tragic. This is what I say about OISs it is a consequential event it's what it is you're gonna have emotional consequences you're gonna have physical consequences right you might get shot somewhere and probably not be the same it's got legal consequences as we talked about earlier right now you're looking at maybe criminal filings Uh, so all these consequences just add up to what Um, to just really having the question whether or not you should have Shot him or not, so you know. And then what happens is, is, that because, like we talked earlier, because of a certain race, gender, or ethnicity, it doesn't really become about what happened. It becomes about a whole other uh, uh, set of circumstances that everybody wants to know, and it sells. And I think that's something that we should change. Um, I haven't seen anything, you know, so controversial where we go from an OS and now we turn it into something else. Um, you know bias, uh, uh, if you will. But what we can do better in media is, you know what, start reporting on really good stuff. I mean, I told you a story what happened to me 25 years ago. Not one you know, meter reporter. I suppose you can call police stations and say, hey, you know what? If something really good happens to the watch commander, why don't you let us know? And you know, we'll roll out and do a sound bite. I think that's one way of getting something positive.
0: Marlon Marachi, retired LAPD sergeant, it was great to have you on California Insider. Thank you so much for having me. I really appreciate it. If you like the show and our content, you should go to insiderca.com and sign up to our newsletter, because we never know what can happen with social media and other platforms in terms of distributing our content. If you'd like to come on the show and be an insider, you can reach out to us at CA Insider at epochtimesca.com. Again, it's cainsider at epochtimeca.com. We would love to have you on the show to tell us what's going on in your field in California. Thank you for watching.